In today's episode, I want to talk about whether decking your halls will bring on the wrath of God. You're listening to Onward in the Faith with Ray Burns. Ray is dedicated to equipping Christians to understand why they believe what they believe so that they can keep moving onward in their faith toward maturity in Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, visit patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. And make sure you visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. Now here's Ray with today's topic. I want to start off this episode by reading a passage from Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. And it says, For the customs of the people are delusion, because it is wood cut from the forest, the work of the hands of a craftsman with a cutting tool. They decorate it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers, so that it will not totter. So as you may have guessed from today's episode title, I want to talk about whether Christmas trees are forbidden in the Bible. Now, when you clicked on this episode, you may not have even realized that was a question, because Christmas trees are harmless, right? That's what a lot of us might say. But this particular passage in Jeremiah does seem to be very clear that if you bring a tree into your home and decorate it, you are basically going against the will of God. You are in sin by having a Christmas tree in your home. And if we just take this verse at face value, then yeah, that is what it seems to say. It it very clearly says, hey, don't bring in a tree. Don't decorate it. Don't keep it from falling over. But what we need to be very careful about is only reading a few words from anywhere in the Bible and just taking a teaching from it without understanding why those words were said. And, you know, as we've talked about many times on this show, we have to remember that the Bible is not a list of bullet points. It's not a rule book where you go to section A, subsection D, article 3, and get a ruling. You know, it's not a court of law kind of thing. The Word of God is a beautiful unveiling of God's character. It shows the history of how he has dealt with us and what he's done. It shows the history of Israel. It shows the promises of God and things like that. And so what we're seeing here isn't a hard and fast rule. We are seeing God interacting with his creation. And so before we take these two verses and hold them up as a condemnation of Christmas trees, I think it's important for us to really dig in and see what is really going on here. But before we do that, I actually want to start by just talking very quickly about the whole tradition of Christmas trees, you know, going over their history and kind of just the purpose that they have served. Now, the history of Christmas trees is kind of long and widespread. You know, we may think that Christmas trees are only maybe a few hundred years old, but there are cultures going all the way back to ancient Egypt that have in one way or another, taken plants that stay green during the winter and brought them into their homes. And the reason that they would do that usually would be that um, they would do it around the winter solstice and it would be kind of a celebration of the eventual end of winter. Because remember, ancient cultures were primarily agricultural. So when winter would come, people would have to kind of just buckle down and wait until they could harvest their crops again. And so these trees or these evergreen plants would be kind of their reminder and their celebration that winter would end and that their god of the sun or their god of agriculture would kind of bring the land back to a state of being able to be, you know, worked and have plants grow on it again. So taken 
With that sense, there are certainly some pagan roots with using evergreen trees in a home. But the tradition of the Christmas tree, as we understand it, seems to have actually started around the 16th century. And at this time, Christians would bring evergreen trees into their home during the winter. And even the famous reformer Martin Luther is credited with starting the tradition of actually putting lights in the trees because he is recorded as wanting to kind of simulate what it looked like when stars would shine through trees. And while that is, on one hand, a very interesting history tidbit, it is something to consider because the Christians that we come from, right, our forefathers in the Protestant faith, they used Christmas trees. And we remember that back in those days... They were very sensitive to things like witchcraft and paganism. And so it does grant us some consideration to say if these men who were so sold out for God's word, they were willing to die to stand by every little bit of it. If they were okay with bringing a tree into their home and decorating it, are we perhaps using this verse incorrectly? You know, are we seeing something more to it than what God actually intended when he gave this command to Israel? And then... As time goes on and we get to America, uh, the Christmas traditions actually didn't get a very quick start like we may assume. The, the time of Christmas was seen as incredibly sacred by the Puritans, and they would try to avoid or they would even penalize anything that might diminish this time of remembering the birth of our Savior. Now, this obviously meant Christmas trees— But they would even forbid the singing of Christmas carols because they saw this as a heathen tradition, or at least some did. Uh, One man who is kind of famous for saying this is named Oliver Cromwell. And so it really wasn't until the late 1800s that decorated Christmas trees actually began to rise in popularity. And historically, we could probably trace that back to the fact that Over time, we had more non-Puritan immigrants coming in and bringing their own traditions. So it would make sense that as Puritanism started to kind of dissipate a bit within America, other traditions would start to grow. And so overall, we can see that the time of winter has always had some kind of celebration attached to it when it comes to using greenery in the home. Because if winter is the absence of green it makes logical sense that people would want a reminder that, you know, maybe this isn't the end, that the the world will soon be kind of refreshed and it will be green again. And so all throughout history, we see that there has been some kind of celebration using trees and decorated trees. And so with that brief history, let's go back to the Bible and look at what's really going on here between God, Israel, and trees. Now, if you read the Old Testament through, you will notice that there are some practices that are kind of widely forbidden. So if you look at the Ten Commandments, those are all kind of very broad. You'll also notice that there are some very specific things that are forbidden, things like ceremonially marking your body with ink or bringing in a tree and decorating it with silver and gold. And we need to ask ourselves, why does God seem to give a blanket statement for some things, and a very, very narrow and specific forbidding for others. Well, if we take this passage in Jeremiah chapter 10, we can do with this the same thing we can do with other specific things in the Bible that are forbidden. 
So instead of just looking at the verses that seem to forbid Christmas trees, let's actually look at what's happening around them. So we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. And obviously in the middle of this, we will have our forbidding of decorated trees, but we're going to see why and then kind of God's conclusion to his forbidding of it. So this says, Hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, Do not learn the way of the nations, and do not be terrified by the signs of the heavens, although the nations are terrified by them. For the customs of the peoples are delusion, because it is wood cut from the forest, the work of the hands of a craftsman with a cutting tool. They decorate it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers so that it will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field are they, and they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them, for they can do no harm, nor can they do any good. So if we take all of this together, we are seeing that God's specific forbidding of trees isn't because there is something inherently sinful with decorating a tree, but why they were doing it. Because Jeremiah chapter 10 starts with, telling Israel, hey, don't learn the ways of the nations. Don't just adopt all their practices and make it your own. Because the reasons that these pagan people, this, these nations, would decorate the trees was a form of idolatry. And God here is pointing out really how silly it was, because they would have craftsmen who would take down these trees, they would carve them, they would form them, they would have to transport them, they would have to set them up, and then they would just sit there and do nothing. And yet these pagans were treating these as some kind of embodiment or representative of their gods. And here God is saying, you know, they cannot speak. They must be carried. Don't fear them, for they can do no harm or good. In other words, God is saying, don't adopt this practice of the people where they are bringing in their gods and, and having this whole kind of ritual and custom and, and cultural tradition based around them. And God's just reminding them, look, there is one true God. You know, he's saying, don't worship me and try to worship other gods. Don't worship me like the peoples worship gods. You know, if you look back to the golden calf after Israel was freed from Egypt, what did they do? They built a golden calf, but they didn't do it to worship the calf. They did it to try to represent God. And so there's a good chance that what Israel was trying to do in this portion of Jeremiah is they were trying to take the traditions of the heathen people and say, well, no, we're not going to worship Baal. We're not going to worship, you know, these other gods. We're going to worship God through these trees. We're going to pray to these decorated trees. And these trees are going to somehow represent God to us. And that was God's big problem here. Because as always, Israel was trying to meld the, the world that hates God and their cultures and their traditions. And they were trying to meld it with their belief in God and their faith. But what would always happen is that they would not strengthen their faith with God. Instead, they would drift further and further towards those people and those belief systems that were against their God. And we can see this emphasized uh, just a couple verses later in Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 7 through 8. And this is kind of Jeremiah's worship of God. And he says, Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? It is indeed your due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you, but they are altogether stupid and foolish in their discipline of delusion. Their idol is wood. And so here, Jeremiah is just kind of reinforcing 
really how silly this thing is because God is forbidding Israel from, you know, adopting other gods. And Jeremiah is sitting here saying, how could anyone worship anyone except for you? You are the king of the nations. These idols are made of wood. There's no comparison. And so then in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 11, God responds and says, Thus shall you say to them, The gods that did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. And so here God really emphasizes the difference between who he is and who these gods are that these people worship. He's saying that, you know, these gods that they worship, they're not real. They're, they're temporary. They're going to fade. They are not everlasting like I am. You know, that's, that's what God is telling Jeremiah to deliver to the people. He's calling them to remember who their God is. And that's why God is calling them to reject this idea of, of worshiping these trees, of carving them, of acting like they hold some kind of power or salvation or that they can fulfill any promises in, in their lives. You know, instead of worshiping a God that has to be created by a craftsman, God's saying, worship the God who is and always is and always will be. You know, and so if you if you were to go and if you were to read this entire conversation with Jeremiah, if you were to read Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 1 through 25, you're going to see one primary focus, and that is that God is God. Here, Israel is being told once again, because it seems like Israel is always being told this, don't compromise your faith in God just because the culture around you is finding satisfaction in idols. Because while they may seem to be happy, while they may seem to be at peace or, or get what they want, ultimately those idols are going to fail them because they're not real. Any goodness in people's lives, as we know, is because God is merciful, even to those who hate him. He gives good gifts and grace, even to those people who spit in his face. You know, because he's, we know he's storing up wrath and judgment for them. But there are those good things that God gives to everybody. And so here God is saying, you know, just because they may seem to be prosperous, it's not because of these gods that they worship. He's calling Israel, look, don't compromise what is good and true in your lives in order to blend in or in order to go to where the grass seems greener, because it's not. That grass on the other side is rotten and fake. And so when we understand this bigger picture of this passage in Jeremiah, we can see that these early verses about decorating trees— We need to realize that God's not offended because people want pretty trees or because people bring a tree into their home. What God is is angry at and what he is forbidding is the reasons behind it. He is calling out their hearts for why they want to do this specific practice. He's reminding Israel that God is the one who saves them. Idols cannot. Idols can't deliver them. Idols can't protect them. And for Israel to try to follow or adopt or compromise for the religious customs of the area around them, it's not going to bring them success or deliverance or any form of salvation. Ultimately, we see that God is calling his people to remember who the God of the universe truly is and to remind them that there is no other God out there except for him. And God does this because he loves his people. And when we just take this verse or these verses, and we just try to make it another rule that we tack onto Christianity, then we rob it of its true power. Because what this is really showing us is God's heart. It's not showing that God is this dictator that wants to set all these arbitrary rules. Instead, we see that God's not mad about not getting attention or because people are doing something he thinks is is stupid. 
we see that God is grieved. He is heartbroken because his people are on a path of destruction. And God wants Israel to turn away from pagans and their religious traditions. And he wants them to turn back to God for their sake, not for God's, not because God is sad or lonely. He wants them to stop this because he loves them and he knows what the end result is if they continue down the path that they're heading on. And so, you know, as you read to the end of this portion of Jeremiah, you'll see that it ends with Jeremiah basically calling for the destruction of these idolatrous nations because Jeremiah understands why God hates idolatry so much. And Jeremiah gets a glimpse into the bigger danger facing God's people if they keep trying to find satisfaction in the same things as those who don't know God. Because ultimately, God loves his people too much to let them just settle. He loves them too much to let them find satisfaction and think that they're going to be saved by pieces of wood or mud or rock instead of finding their true salvation and their true satisfaction in the glorious and ultimate God of the universe. God knows who Israel needs, even if Israel doesn't realize it, even if they aren't turning to God and they don't realize how majestic and amazing he is, God knows who he is and who Israel is and what they truly need. And so when we read this passage today, because of course we are not Israel, but when we read this and we understand God's heart behind it, we see that the problem here isn't decorating trees, it's trying to blend culture into our faith. It's trying to say, oh, I want God, but I also want these things that other people have too. You know, because we see people who don't have God in their lives. We see these people who seem happy and they seem to be chasing things like money and popularity and Twitter followers or trying to stir up controversy or whatever people are doing to find satisfaction, whether it's having kids, getting married, having a powerful position at work or in church. Whatever people are seeking, people are seeking satisfaction in things of the world, in positions. They're trying to feel good about themselves in one way or another. And we as Christians, we see that. We see these people pursuing these things, and we see, well, I don't feel happy. I don't feel fully satisfied. I don't feel content. So maybe I need to find other things on top of God, because maybe God's not all satisfying. Maybe God's not all that I need. Maybe I do need to find safety in my job. I do need to find the love of a spouse, or I need to feel the the joy of having children in order to be content and satisfied. You know, we, as people, we have been conditioned to live for people to approve of what we do. You know, things like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, every, you know, thumbs up or like or heart that comes in on those social media things, we feel more fulfilled. We feel like, okay, finally, I'm finding contentment and satisfaction. Finally, something's going to deliver me from my unhappiness, my anxiety, my depression, my loneliness. But just like these carved trees and these idols that these pagan nations are worshiping, everything that we try to find satisfaction in apart from God is going to fail. It has to fail because it is imperfect. It is incapable of fully filling us. And so there are things, you know, family, friends, people enjoying content that we create, people agreeing with us, you know, having money, having leadership opportunities or whatever, whatever we're trying to find satisfaction in, they're not inherently wrong, but it's why we pursue them that makes them ultimately worthless and dangerous in our lives. Because we can love the good gifts of God. We can enjoy them and we're meant to enjoy them. God loves to give good things to his creation. 
But it's when we take those gifts and make them our gods, when we make them our target of worship, when we fear losing them, when we turn to them when we are stressed, or we turn to them when we need happiness, that is when it's dangerous, because that is when it turns to idolatry. And that is what we can get out of this discussion about hanging trees in homes. It's not God creating a rule where if we have a tree in our home, Christ has to die for that. But instead, we see a bigger picture of God's love for his people and not wanting them to compromise and not wanting them to find satisfaction in what God's enemies are calling good. But instead, God wants us to find our ultimate satisfaction and our ultimate joy. He wants us to find our safety and our needs fully fulfilled in him because God knows what we need. We may not see it. We may not understand it, but God truly knows what is best for us and what we need. And it's because he loves us that he calls us away from worthless things and calls us in to the beauty and the glory of a life spent pursuing him, of living for Jesus Christ and having our hearts and minds transformed by the Holy Spirit that he's given us. So to kind of wrap this up, when it comes to the Christmas tree thing, I think like a lot of cultural traditions, it's really going to come down to a matter of personal conviction. Based on the history and current purpose of Christmas trees, it's really not about idolatry. It's just a thing that people do. It's like eating turkey at Thanksgiving. It's just a thing in America that we do. You know, it's not comparable to Israel, who is dealing with people decorating trees in order to worship false gods. Because... Our greatest danger isn't that we are worshiping these trees or replacing them with God. But at the same time, we as Christians do need to ask, are Christmas trees or our reasons behind them somehow compromising why we focus on Christmas or what we're trying to find true satisfaction in? Because Christmas trees do represent some things. They represent kind of the commercialism of gifts and, and buying things and acquiring things. They represent really taking a holiday that has for a long time been about remembering Jesus Christ and it's just turned it into another thing that we do as as a country or around the world. And so ultimately the Christmas tree thing it's going to come down to personal convictions. We we don't avoid trees because God forbids it because as we've seen God isn't forbidding the putting up of a decorated tree in our home. He's forbidding the why that Israel was doing it. And of course, we need to check ourselves and ask why we are doing it. And from there, that's where we can glorify God with our decision to have a tree or not have a tree. But ultimately, we just see at the end that this idea of telling Israel not to decorate trees is not a timeless command that is meant for all people at all times. That specific command was meant for a specific group of people. And so understanding that principle, again, it can feel like Christmas decorations, Christmas trees, the lights, the snowmen, whatever. It could seem like it takes away from the sacredness of Christmas and it being about Jesus Christ. But if someone is choosing to do a Christmas tree or not do it, they need to make sure that they're doing it for the glory of God. Not because they want to blend in with culture and not be weird. Not because you know they find hope and satisfaction in the whole idea of Christmas whether it's the tree or the presence or family, what have you, you know, we want to be careful that why, why we do anything in this life, that we're doing it for the glory of God. And so I want to end this with just one final reminder from the New Testament, and this is in James chapter 4 and verse 4. 
And it says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So when it comes to the Bible, we need to make sure that we're not using it as a rule book, as a series of bullet points where we have to do or not do exactly what is said by completely ignoring the context of what we see. I hope that through this episode you've seen the bigger picture of the context here and why God is specifically calling out Christmas trees and not wreaths or nativity sets or whatever. We see that God is calling out decorated trees because of the culture around Israel that moment when God was speaking to them and the dangers that Israel was falling into because of what those trees represented and why Israel was tempted to bring them into their homes. So whether you are decorating trees, whether you are treating December 25th as just another day of the year, make sure that you are always trying to bring glory to Christ and that you are always trying to love and serve your God. I want to thank you for listening to this episode on Christmas trees and whether the Bible does or doesn't forbid them. I hope that it has encouraged you to appreciate the context of the Bible more and to not take a specific verse or series of verses at face value and base your life around them. I hope that it encouraged you to always be looking at why God says what he says and what he truly desires for his people. If you've enjoyed this episode and if you've enjoyed Onward in the Faith, this year, I would encourage you to consider supporting this ministry. You can do so every month by following the link to Patreon at the bottom of the show notes where you can pledge as little as $1 or any amount that you feel so led to. And your support helps me to pay for the expenses involved in running the ministry, as well as helps me to eventually start being able to replace my own income. Um, and be able to do this ministry kind of in a full-time capacity. So as you are ending this episode and going into the Christmas season, I hope that this episode and this ministry encourages you to keep moving onward in your faith toward maturity in Christ.